Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. Ditch the clowns on the left. And the jokers on the right. And join Michael Smirkanish right here in the middle. This is the Smirkanish Podcast for independent minds. This censorship is yet another blatant violation of the Constitution. There's so many violations of our Constitution, and you'll see that in the suit, which will also be added to, because other things are happening on a daily basis that will be added as we go along. Former President Trump yesterday announcing the filing of a class action lawsuit. He's targeting Facebook, Google, and Twitter, and others, asserting that his First Amendment rights were violated. Does he have a legitimate case? I want to talk about it with an expert. That would be Professor Eric Goldman who is a professor at Santa Clara University Law School in California. He's been teaching Internet law for about a quarter century and joins me now. Professor, thank you so much for being on my program. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Does he have any shot? No. Why not? <laughs> Sorry, I left the silence there for dramatic effect, but it really, it, it there's nothing to talk about in terms of the substance of the complaint. Um, and I'll, I'll explain why I'm so confident in the prediction that he doesn't have a shot. Um, I'm working on a paper uh, that um, has collated all of the uh, court rulings I could find that involve a user complaining about their account being terminated or their content being removed. It's a total of over 60 cases. Um, and the defense wins those cases. Um, it's it's they're easy cases in, in most part. Um, there's it's just an unbroken line of defense wins. Um, so there's nothing new or novel about this uh, complaint. He's making arguments that have been tried and failed in courts before uh, multiple times. So uh, you know the precedent is clear. He will lose. Is the bottom line that these are private actors and there's not a First Amendment issue, therefore, at stake? You can classify it as speech, but there's not a First Amendment per se issue involved here. Uh, yes, and you said that very well. I do want to point out of the 60 plus other cases I found, there are other arguments that are issue and other defenses that come into play. But the core of uh, Trump's complaint is that uh, is that the Internet services became government actors. Um, and once they became government actors, they became bound by the First Amendment, but they did not become government actors. We all know that's a mockable argument. Um, and as I said, that argument has been tried in court and failed. So um, not only is it a, a kind of conceptually stupid argument, um, it's also precedentially uh, not persuasive. So what does Donald Trump or someone 
in Donald Trump's position, what can they do for recourse if they think that they've been censored? Well, let's be clear about the term censorship. Um, I only use that to describe government actions to suppress speech. Um, When a private entity chooses not to publish speech, I call that editorial discretion. So when Twitter or Facebook or YouTube decide not to publish a user's content, I don't like the term censorship to describe that. I think about that and saying, this is not fit for our audience. We're choosing not to publish this content. Um, now, what happens in that circumstance is that the person loses the access to the audience at that particular social media service. So if Facebook censors them, as you described, or as Facebook exercises editorial discretion, what's happened in practice is Facebook said, not for our audience, but if you want to go talk anywhere else on the Internet, you're welcome to do so. One of the things that troubles me about this, Professor, is that I don't think that these social media platforms can apply the same level of scrutiny to everyone who's involved that they apply to a Donald Trump. Uh, They're just not staffed. I don't think that artificial intelligence could ever keep pace. And therefore, almost by design, it's going to set up disparities where Trump will be held accountable for his speech, but others will not. Do you see any issue there? Well, yes, but I'm I'm not as concerned about it as maybe the subtext to your question. Um, so let's just describe it, I think, more generally. Um, internet services are going to make what I call content moderation errors. They're going to permit content that shouldn't have been on their site per their rules, and they're going to take down content that should have been permitted on their site per their rules. This is not them being malicious. This is not them being derelict. It's just the law of large numbers. Too much content on the site. They can't look at it all. They're going to make mistakes. Um, But mistakes are an integral part of the publishing process. Newspapers make mistakes. I haven't listened to all of your uh, uh, radio broadcasts. I'm guessing you've made some mistakes. Um, So the fact they make mistakes isn't some nefarious plan. It's just a fact of publishing content. So they're not treated like a newspaper. I'm so glad that you answered that question that way. Let's talk about Section 230. No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. First of all, offer us some context. How did those words come to pass? And in lay terms, what do they mean? (laughs) Well, let me describe what they mean first, then I'll talk a little about how they came to pass. Um, There are 26 words. The 26 words you read, I'm guessing most of your listeners are like, huh? What does that mean? Um, But as interpreted by the courts, it means that websites aren't liable for third-party content. It's actually a very clean, simple proposition. It says that whoever is causing harm online is responsible, but those in the middle of those conversations aren't. Um, And so it really channels responsibility onto the people who are are, uh, originating that harmful content or, or initiating those harmful actions. Um, how it came to pass is uh, that there were two rulings uh, in the early to mid-1990s um, about uh, websites or the or, you know, predecessors, in these cases, online services that published third-party content. And the collective outcome of the ruling suggested that internet services might be liable if they tried to moderate content and failed, which might give them incentive not to try at all and simply to let all content on their site, however horrible it might be. And so Congress said, we don't want to create that kind of dilemma. We want their services to do the socially valuable work of um, uh, moderating content. So we'll give them this liability protection that says if they try, they're not liable for failing. 
you've written on this subject. And in fact, for the, for the benefit of those who will watch us on YouTube, people who understand Section 230 actually love it. What is it that people who don't understand it don't recognize? Well, <laughs> there's a lot of different uh, objectors to Section 230 now. It's kind of hard to summarize a single category. Um, so uh, I think that some people believe that Section 230 enables too much bad content to be online. Um, so as we said, if, if services try and fail, they're not liable. Well, some people think that means they don't really try hard enough. Other people think, um, like Donald Trump, that Section 230 enables their own services to do too much content moderation, um, that they uh, have the freedom to remove content that really should have been um, permitted. Um, and then there's a third category, which Donald Trump probably also fits into, which basically are using Section 230 as a placeholder to express their angst towards big tech. Um, and so really Section 230 has gotten wrapped up in a much bigger political fight over the future of the Internet and who's going to be offering services online. Um, and so for those people, they don't really hate Section 230. They just use it as a shorthand for don't you hate the big tech companies? Um, and everyone in that community understands the code word. So to your point, I've always thought this is a case of be careful what you wish for, because when Donald Trump talks about repealing, replacing Section 230, I think he's asking for a level of scrutiny that he himself might not be able to withstand. And here's how I get there, and I don't have your expertise, but tell me if you think that I'm onto something. Right now, we say to these internet platforms, we're going to treat you like a telephone line. We're not going to hold you accountable in a legal sense for that which gets said across your platform as opposed to treating you like a newspaper where if you publish something that's defamatory, we're going to allow an, an aggrieved party to come after you. If you take away the Section 230 protection from the social media platforms, you're forcing them to act more like a newspaper and someone may choose to edit Donald Trump's commentary because they don't want to incur legal action from people that he's speaking or writing against. What do you think? Uh, I agree with you 100 percent that um, that something like Donald Trump's content would likely be screened out very, very early if there wasn't a section two there like protection because of the possibility that it would create liability for the Internet service. But there are two other consequences that might also occur um, in the pre-section 230 era. The standard prevailing advice to Internet services was don't moderate content. If you try and fail, you'll be liable. So don't try. So another possibility is that internet services would say, you know what, everyone have their say. Instead of having just Donald Trump, it would be all Donald Trump and people with worse content all the time. That'd be an internet none of us would want to use. But the third, and I think even more likely outcome, is that without Section 230, many internet services would say, you know what, we just can't make a living here. We're not going to turn into a cyber cesspool. We're not going to be able to afford doing content moderation perfectly. So the best option is not to play the game whatsoever. And so when you say it's counterproductive, I think the more likely counterproductive action uh, is that internet services would say, if I'm not protected, I'm going to take my marbles and go play a different game, at which point then Donald Trump never gets a platform in the first place. And anyone that he, whose speech he's trying to protect never gets a venue whatsoever. So, Professor, for those who are saying this is all very interesting to follow what's happening to Donald Trump vis-a-vis -vis these social media platforms, but what does it have to do with me? What would you say? Well, um, <laughs> that's actually a really great question, because um, 
uh, as I said, so much of Section 230's discussion is wrapped up in this politics about whether internet services should do more or less um, uh, content. But what really is, I think, likely to happen is that Congress is going to change Section 230 in a way that's going to force many internet services to make that choice I mentioned and, and exit the industry. And what they're going to do instead is they're either going to give a very limited number of people the power to publish on their platform. So instead of all of us having our say, only the people with power are going to have say, like corporate brands or politicians. Everyone else is going to get shut down. Um, uh, and then uh, other services are going to provide uh, uh, um, professionally produced content. They're going to say, you know what? I'm not going to risk user-generated content, too much liability. I'm going to go and I'm going to license content from well-known providers, um, and I'm going to put them behind a paywall and make my users pay for access to that. And so what's really at stake is the configuration of the internet. We are likely to see an internet when Congress is done with it that allows fewer of us to have a say and that causes us to pay more money to access content that we currently enjoy for free. And that's the stakes at issue here. And so all the politics about Section 230 really mask the, the potential really devastating policy consequences of reform. Do you think Republicans and Democrats can both get on board on something they can agree with? This seems like it's another of those issues now subject to the partisan divide. Um, that actually, if true, would be a win, um, because uh, in this particular situation, uh, maybe not others, uh, the status quo is the right outcome. Um, however, uh, because everyone in Congress is jockeying to position themselves as tougher on big tech, it's actually a very dangerous environment where there could be some weird um, and really awful coalitions formed that would allow um, some really terrible policy reforms to go through. So this is a place where actually gridlock works in all of our favors, but there's such a risk that uh, the antipathy toward big tech will drive people past that gridlock. So we're in a very dangerous time. Um, the internet, uh, uh, the internet's future is at stake, and I am scared. How about the perspective of someone who says, look, I, I don't like Donald Trump or I'm not really too concerned about Donald Trump having been policed, but Facebook is too big and strong or the others. Google is too big and strong. Fill in the blank for your social media platform of choice. And, and somehow I think they shouldn't be able to exert so much control over the people who use their platforms. Do you buy into any of that? I totally understand that. Um, you know, there's no doubt Google and Facebook are massive companies. They are worth a lot of money. They have a lot of power. Um, the question is, what do we do about that? Um, and that's where I think the policy um, angles get a little bit cloudy. Um, because uh, on the one hand, um, uh, uh, we would love to intervene in their business to tell them how to run it in a different way, but that's actually censorship. That's the government compelling a private publisher to run its business differently. We might conclude that that's just not okay under the constitution, regardless of its merits. But here's the real risk, and this is one of the reasons I'm so scared for the internet, is that um, the interventions that, that Congress might make um, or that other regulators might make um, could end up making it so that only Google and Facebook can afford to run their business profitably. Um, basically, that uh, Section 230 acts as a way of lowering barriers to entry. And so if regulatory change might raise those barriers to entry and lock in the position of Google or Facebook. And so when we have intelligent policy conversations, we have to talk about, are we actually solving the problem of Google or Facebook's 
marketplace power or exacerbating that problem. Um, and those are the kinds of conversations that are not happening in a healthy way today. Professor Eric Goldman, sum up, apart from the explanation as to why the Trump suit will be unsuccessful on these more important broad-based Internet issues, what do you want to leave us all with? Yeah, I think that um, we should not only take away that that Trump's lawsuit is not legally meritorious, um, but that's not surprising, Um, but also that if he were to win, it would change the complexion of Internet in a way that we almost certainly wouldn't want. What he's fighting for is the right to enable any troll, to enable any malefactor to have their say online without being able to be suppressed. And we want Internet services to fight that battle for us. That's a socially valuable effort on their part. So we should be rooting against Donald Trump, not only on the legal merits, but because of the policy consequences he's implicating. That was excellent. Really well done. What a great primer. And I I thank you so much for offering it here. Thanks for uh, great questions. Great conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks for saying that as well. Professor Eric Goldman at Santa Clara University Law School in California thinks that Section 230 is is pretty darn solid. No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. What does it mean? Hey, Internet platforms, you're not going to be held legally accountable for what gets said on your platform. You can police it as you see fit. We're going to treat you like the phone company and not like the newspaper. Donald Trump comes along, and I agree with the professor. He has now used Section 230 references as a catch-all, and he wants to do away with Section 230. If Section 230 is no longer there, the professor says he worries that it's going to be a, a you know, the Internet generally could be a haven for trolls of all kind, a, a, a Wild West kind of situation. I'm paraphrasing. That's not the way that that he said it. My fear has has always been not fear, but my observation, a better word choice, that without Section 230 protection, who's going to want to publish the words of Donald Trump? They'll be opening themselves up to endless litigation because Trump aggrieves so many. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. You can make money the hard way becoming a bullfighter or save money the easy way with Xfinity Mobile. It sure beats making money as a human cannonball. Now through March 21st, learn how existing Xfinity customers can get a free line of unlimited intro for a year when they buy one unlimited line. That's hundreds of dollars in savings on your wireless bill. Visit XfinityMobile.com today. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet. Reduce speeds after 20 gigabytes of usage per line. Data thresholds may vary. 